I'm continually struck by how much, to what extent, our society is characterized by contempt. Have you noticed this? Uh, if you haven't, you just have to watch a little TV or drive down the interstate. Uh, our politics is characterized by contempt, and it just seems to be going up exponentially almost every day. Many of us, uh, we were reflecting earlier this week, remember a time where political discourse in our country was far more civil than it is now. Not that long ago. Civility is probably the last word that we would use to describe American political discourse. That's a really significant example. You can be driving down the interstate like I was yesterday and uh, get contempt from other drivers. <laughs> you know, somebody's going fast, slow in the fast lane and then just, you know, it's risky all of a sudden. There's contempt. We have race, I mean, we have uh, contempt in relation to race and ethnicity. We have contempt in relation to social classes, professional classes. It's all over the place. And the pressure when that kind of attitude saturates a community, the pressure on the church is to kind of slide into that, isn't it? It's very easy to just kind of go with the crowd. Repeat the kinds of things we hear on the news or other places. And so when I re reflect on how our society is just so saturated with contempt, and there have been other places where this kind of thing has happened, perhaps there's a greater extent in some ways among our, in our day. But when I look at that, and then I go read the New Testament, and I see Jesus, I notice what a striking difference we have. Jesus' ministry of the kingdom was never, even with his opponents, was never marked by contempt, was it? Instead, he sees the crowds, the text says, and has compassion. He sees the crowds and he has compassion. They're harassed, they're helpless, they're like sheep without a shepherd. So he embodies compassion toward them. And that shows up in different ways, the text says. Whether it's healing people whether it's feeding people, whether it's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He's doing all these kinds of things, traveling around, teaching, instructing, helping, serving, engaging in this mission of the kingdom of God. And it's pushing back. He faces contempt. People are, show contempt toward Jesus, don't they? <laughs> those Pharisees, you know those guys, some contempt there. Those priests, you got to have a lot of contempt for someone to try to turn them over to the Romans and have them killed. <laughs> Talk about contempt. And yet Jesus is constantly marked by compassion. One of the reasons that's important is because there's a direct link in this text between compassion and mission. There's a direct link between what Jesus has to say to His followers. We're talking about following Jesus. This is Jesus to His followers. There's a direct link in what Jesus has to say to His followers about compassion and how it relates to mission. Which means, as we develop our understanding of that relationship and see how those two things go together, if we're not pushing towards compassion, then we're probably going to be missing out on the mission somewhere. We're thinking about that relationship. We might even put it this way. Talking about this direct link. 
When we multiply mission, we do that by cultivating compassion. I mean, that's, what's, that's what Jesus is getting at here, isn't it? We multiply mission by cultivating compassion. Jesus sees the crowns. He has compassion for them. They're harmed. They're harassed. They're helpless. They're oppressed. Uh, maybe they're not instructed. Maybe they haven't learned from Him yet. And so He then talks about, let's get some people out there. Let's get some laborers into the harvest. He's compassionate. Let's do some mission. That's what's going on there. So for Jesus, there's this connection between discipleship and evangelism or mission. Now, we separate those sometimes. Like we want to talk about a, a lot about compassion, and we want to be compassionate towards one another, and we care for that. Uh, who would, who, I mean, how many of us would ever say, you know, compassion, not that important to me. Now, maybe a couple of us, but, but most of the time, we're going to say, you know, that's a value for us, right? When people are hurting, when they're harassed or helpless, we feel sorry, we feel compassion, we feel care for them. But we don't always connect that with the mission, right? I feel compassion for people, but I don't have the gift of evangelism. <laughs> That's somebody else's job. Funny, when Jesus gives commands to send laborers into the harvest, he doesn't ask if you have the gift first. <laughs> he just tells you to do it. I'm a disciple, but I'm not called to missions. I've got compassion. I'm following Jesus. I love Jesus. I want to do what He wants me to do, but He hasn't called me to do that. That's for other people. That's for younger people. <laughs> Come back to that in a little while. So we somehow separate discipleship and this, this kind of character aspect, if we can put it that way. The compassion is a, is a way that disciples embody the character of Jesus, isn't it? That's what's going on here. But we don't necessarily draw the line that Jesus draws. We don't necessarily connect the line. We, we want to have compassion, but does that mean that we're actually stepping out of the church and engaging in this work of harvesting, right? Spreading the gospel, the kingdom, sending out, getting out there with people who don't know Jesus and bringing them in. Right? That's what evan evangelism is, this focus on the gospel and communicating it clearly, isn't it? We need to be clear on that definition, too. And Jesus wants his followers engaging in evangelism, and that means telling them about how he loves them, how he died for them, and how he was raised for their new life, and how trusting in his name transforms our whole being. Right? Evangelism is not inviting someone to church. <laughs> There's one of the greatest things that we get mixed up on in church and been pastoring for, I don't know, 14, 15 years now, something like that. The evangelism team works on inviting often. That's great, by all means, invite, invite people to church. But don't tick the evangelism box when you do it. That's a totally different thing. Do both, but don't get them confused. Evangelism is when you're having the conversation, hey, what do you know about Jesus? What do you know about his cross? Yeah, he died on the cross, but do you know why he died on the cross? Maybe it's because we're separated from God, and surely all of us have felt that distance at one time or another. How far we are from the one who loves us, the one who made us, the one who cares for us. And Jesus came to bridge that gap, to bring reconciliation. Surely we want to be reconciled to God. So he took all those dark things. You know, we've got these dark places in our hearts when we're telling the truth. 
We've all got those. He takes those and he heals them. And he touches them. He takes the places where we're in pain and the places where we feel guilt and condemnation and he brings forgiveness and healing and hope. Evangelism is when we start doing that sort of thing. When our conversations move towards the person and work of Jesus, who he is, what he's done. That's what Jesus wants from his followers. When we talk about missions, we're talking about when we start sending people out on specific tasks. Oftentimes you're, you're uh, crossing a border, whether it's you know, kind of a, a local thing where we're getting outside the church, we're on a team, we're doing kind of friendship mission kinds of things or other areas in, uh, in, in, in the area. Sometimes it's even further sending two teams out this summer. We've talked about that already. Oftentimes missions is going to be moving towards a cross-cultural experience, right? We start locally, but we don't stop there, <laughs> right? A lot of times churches, there's kind of a, a contrast. Well, some folks do global, we do local. Well, some folks do local, we're, we're global people. That drives me crazy. <laughs> just just going to be honest there. Forget the contrast. The nations start next door. Christian mission is local and global. We never get to pick one or the other. Jesus said, disciple the nations. As soon as you walk out the door, you're on the mission field. And it doesn't end at the, you know, the county line or the zip code or the state. Always, there's always a view towards the whole world for Jesus. When we talk about missions. When Jesus is talking about laborers into the harvest, He's talking about this gospel-oriented mission. Cross-oriented evangelism. There's no other kind of evangelism, but that's the focus there. That's what He wants. And He wants His church uh, engaging in that work. And that work is motivated by compassion, which means if we're not cultivating compassion, we're not going to be moving in that direction towards the work. If we're flowing in the grooves, if we're walking in the grooves of our culture and kind of digging into this contemptuous attitude, you know, the last thing we're going to be doing is trying to convert people. <laughs> you know, can't stand that person. I sure do want them to come to Jesus. You know, that's not, those two things are not typically coming out in the same breath, are they? Instead, it's, wow, my heart is broken for that person. Can I talk to you about Jesus? <laughs> I have found hope in Jesus. I want to talk to you. Can I tell you where I found hope? Right? There's compassion and mission. Contempt is just Contempt is more about, you know, walling yourself off, isn't it? If I, have, if I have a cart filled with contempt, I'm going to barricade myself from other people. I don't like those people. I don't want to be near. But if my heart is embodying the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to be looking for people who are harassed and helpless. And maybe, people, maybe I don't like them. And I'm going to be asking the Lord Jesus, will you work in me right now and take this contempt and just pull that away and prune it away and cut it back? I mean, just take it hacksaw to it and get it out of my life and put your compassion back into place because i want to be your follower jesus that's where i want to be and i know that means i've got to cultivate compassion because following jesus brothers and sisters is about embodying the character of the lord jesus christ we just got to get that kind of language into our vocabulary what does it mean to follow jesus it means to obey him and embody his character 
So what aspects of His character do I see? You know, what is His life and what does His ministry look like? And is that character being reproduced in my life? Right? And in this passage, the chief aspect of His character that is on display, that is spoken about, that the Gospel writer tells us about is, what is it? You know by now. Compassion. Right? He's traveling all over the place. He's going from town to town, synagogue to synagogue. He's engaging in ministry. He's teaching. He's touching people. He's healing. And all the time, He sees people who are hurting, people who are harassed, people who are just sheep without a shepherd. They're wandering. They're lost. They are lost. They don't know what God has for them. They don't know wholeness. And Jesus is calling upon His people to to let Him reproduce that aspect of His character in us. That's what holiness looks like, friends. Jesus is the Holy One. Holiness is not this impossible list of tasks that we really aspire to but never really think we can do anything with. Holiness is about embodying the character of Jesus. So in this passage, holiness is compassion. And is Jesus reproducing that in me? Is the Holy Spirit in me? And am I opening myself up to what He wants to do in that way? And His compassion is displayed most perfectly, most gloriously in the cross. Nobody dies on a cross because they're looking out for themselves. And you don't die for people with whom you have a heart for whom you have a heart filled with contempt. Right? I can't stand you. I'm going to give my life for you. <laughs> right? That's, nobody acts that way. But with Jesus, <laughs> you hate me. You tortured me. You mocked me. You beat me and flogged me and spat upon me and insulted me and stabbed spikes in my hands and my feet. And Jesus says, I love you. I forgive you. I want you to know life and that's why I'm hanging here. That's what compassion looks like. And that's what Jesus wants reproduced in the life of his church and then he goes straight to this call harvest and laborers and he's out there doing the work he's out there you know i'm I'm thinking about jesus thinking about jesus and compassion and how one of the things you never see with jesus are excuses you ever notice that I mean, Jesus never makes excuses. I mean, just read through the Gospel this week. Take Matthew and just, just read all the way through it. Just sit down, block out a couple... Get up a little early if you have to. Make some coffee, keep your... Whatever you got to do. Just read through the Gospel of Matthew. Read through the Gospel of Mark. You'll never hear Jesus say, you know what, I can't do that today because i got a thing. <laughs> yeah. He's on his way... To raise, you know, to heal a sick girl, and he stops to take care of somebody else. It's not like I can't help you right now because there's somebody dying. Over. You never get that with Jesus. He never makes excuses. It's never, oh, 5,000 people need something to eat. They're probably just looking for a handout. You never get that with Jesus. 
Sure, the guy can't see. He wants to be healed. What's he going to want next? You never get that with Jesus. Yeah, he's got leprosy, but it's probably contagious. So I'm just going to stay over here and you can stay over. You never get that kind of stuff with Jesus. He's never making excuses. People are never an inconvenience to him. People are an inconvenience to us all the time. And he wants to reproduce his character in us, doesn't he? Never making excuses. He's always cultivating compassion. And so the thing is, we've got to be thinking about, you know, when I'm walking along and I'm thinking, you know, I'm at work and my coworker is just driving me crazy or I'm watching the TV and somebody says something, I'm just, I can't stand it. And those seeds of contempt. Forget the seeds, that explosion of contempt <laughs> just starts coming. And I'm thinking, I don't like this person. I don't like what they're saying. And I'm wondering if in that moment, if we can just let the Holy Spirit show up. When I'm in that moment. Because it'll probably happen before the day's over. You're going to be driving up. You're going to go up here and like hang a ride on Mobile Highway. And somebody's going to run the red light. And you're just going to think, I hate your guts. And I want, to, I want you to go to jail or something, right? I'm wondering if in that moment, if we can just sort of let the Holy Spirit come in and replace that contempt with compassion. It won't be easy, I promise you. Following Jesus is never easy. Never. Because Jesus takes these things that are deep in us and uh, <laughs> slices them out. Self-denial is never easy. But I wonder if we can kind of be in that place. Now here's the other thing. Cultivating compassion doesn't mean compromising your convictions. Right? You don't have to agree with someone to be compassionate. Like They can say things that you don't agree with. The question is, am I, you know, hating this person's guts because of what they said? Or just, hey, I don't agree with that, but I still, you know, have compassion for them. I think that's where our society just, we've lost that distinction. I can't treat you like a person if you don't agree with everything I say. If you don't agree with everything I say, you must hate me. <laughs> we can't, we can't. We can't live that way. The kingdom of God doesn't work. Right? So take, for example, the militant atheists that have kind of come around in the last 10, 15 years. People like Richard Dawkins, right? who just insults Christians as being foolish and stupid and belittles us constantly. It'd be very easy to get you know, on Facebook and go, Dawkins is such an idiot, or something like that. Is that what Jesus wants? Not at all. It'd be so easy to just kind of meet that contempt with more contempt. The thing about the church is, there's a, a metaphor, illustration I've heard before. The thing about the church is, it's, it's kind of like a hospital. And you're the nurses. The trouble is, in this hospital, your patients think you're their enemy. People like Dawkins, other militant atheists, maybe politicians who want to, you know, undermine freedom of Christian expression. Just, just different kinds of things. People have set themselves against the church. We're so tempted to kind of get defensive. We're like, we don't like you. You're the enemy. It's helpful to remember they're not the enemy. They're the patient. But in this instance, the patient thinks you're the enemy, <laughs> which means it's very hard to care for a patient if they think you're trying to kill them or something like that. The nurses will agree with me, I think. Some, you know, those antagonistic patients. But Jesus comes into our world, to this world that he's made among us, you know, 
He came to his own, but his own didn't accept him, right? He comes to people who just can't stand him, people who straight up want to kill him. And he prays for them. And he he heals them, right? I mean, I'm thinking about in John's Gospel where, you know, Peter slices off the guy's ear. Remember that one? Don't you want to be that disciple? The guy want, you want, don't you want to be the follower of Jesus who gets to carry a sword and cut people's ears off? You know, a lot of us, we'd love to be in that spot. Until Jesus goes to the guy who just came to arrest him and take him to death row, heals the ear. Right? I mean, talk about an opportunity for contempt. Hello, we're here to take your life. You're under arrest. You're going to get a, a fake you know, monkey trial. Kangaroo cord kind of thing. And then, it's, you're, then, then you'll be dead in a couple of days. And lead apostle guy goes on the attack. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Yes, their hearts are filled with contempt for me. I'm going to heal it. That's what I came to do. And how badly does a culture that is saturated with contempt need a church that is filled with compassion? I mean, just what would it do for North America? if the church could respond to this just seething contempt with principled compassion. We're not giving up on our convictions. We're not giving up on the Scriptures. We're not giving up on what Jesus says. We insist on it. But we're not going to hate you either. I mean, very few people are pulling that off very well right now. So Jesus says, let's get some folks out there and get the work done. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Compassion, mission. Cultivate compassion, multiply mission. He draws a line right from one to the other. So if we're doing all those things, right? Cultivating compassion, it means the Holy Spirit is going to have opportunity to open our eyes up towards the, to the needs in the world. The Holy Spirit is going to open our eyes up to see people who are helpless. To see people who are harmed. To see people who are wandering around like sheep without a shepherd. People who don't know Jesus. People who are lost. People who think they got it all together and really are disasters. Just like everyone else. Reading through this, and I got to thinking, you know, why are the laborers few? You ever ask that question? Here's Jesus. There's lots of lost people. There's lots of people who need to know God's grace in his life-giving love i mean that's what we're talking about we're talking about people knowing god's life-giving love anybody in favor of that people knowing god's life-giving love i hope so i mean how how could that not be a good thing here's life here's love here's god who wants you to be reconciled to himself that's a good thing and yet jesus is saying there aren't that many people involved in sort of getting the message out (laughs) why Maybe we're afraid. Maybe we're afraid of what people will think. Maybe we're afraid of what people will do. Maybe someone will call us a bigot. Maybe someone will sue us. Maybe we're afraid. Maybe we're ignorant. Maybe we just straight up don't know the con. Like, we know Jesus has done something in our lives, but if you wanted me to talk about it, I I would struggle with that. Friends, I meet a lot of people who are, that's kind of where we live as Christians. 
I know Jesus touched me, but don't ask me to talk about justification by faith because that's for theologians and things like that, you know. I know Jesus died for my sins and I'm grateful for that, but don't ask me to explain it to someone else. Maybe we just haven't, maybe we need some time to kind of learn how to talk about it, the vocabulary of our faith. And maybe the laborers are few because we haven't done a good job of just education. Maybe we're apathetic. Maybe we just straight up don't care. There's a lot of work the Lord wants to do in that instance. Maybe we're too busy. I mean, after all, what Jesus is asking for, I mean, it takes time to go about cities and villages, doesn't it? It takes time. It takes making the mission a priority. And that means something else has got to go to the bottom of the list if Jesus is going to be on the top. <clears throat> Maybe we don't believe in the urgency of the mission. Maybe, don't, maybe, maybe we don't really believe in hell. I'm thinking this morning, I don't talk a ton about hell in sermons. Uh, but you know, Jesus didn't die for us because we're okay. If everybody's basically all right, and good to go, that doesn't necessitate death on a cross. Right? I mean, if, it's, if, if, if the only begotten Son of God has got to be tortured to death for our salvation, the alternative is probably pretty bad. I think. So every sermon is not like hellfire and brimstone, at least I don't think it is. Maybe you feel differently about that. I don't know. <laughs> but let's talk about it for a minute. Right? If people don't know Jesus, they're not reconciled to God. And not being reconciled to God means being God's enemy. I mean, that's language straight out of Romans. Right? We like Romans most of the time until it says we're enemies of God. <laughs> but it's there. And I wonder if the church had a better doctrine of hell if we'd care more about missions. Maybe I should talk about it more. Maybe the pastor should talk more about it. The urgency. Do we really believe that if people leave this life apart from Jesus, they'll never know Him? Why are the laborers so few? Another question that came up for me. Are we obeying the command? I mean, we want to be followers. It's hard to be followers if we're not actually doing what he says to do. So are we obeying the command? What's the command? Pray that the Lord, pray that the Lord of the harvest will raise up laborers for the harvest. That's the command. So are we praying that God will raise up missionaries? I confess, I don't pray that as often as I should. Feeling a little convicted by Jesus this morning. Wanting to get that a little more, or a lot more regular of a habit. Are we praying together that the Lord will raise up laborers for the harvest? Am I praying that God will raise up evangelists and missionaries? Now here's the thing. 
If I am praying for that, am I prepared? <laughs> am I prepared that I might be the answer to my own prayer? And are you prepared that you might be the answer to your own prayer? Lord, raise up some evangelists, and the next time you're, you know, getting your hair cut or something, the Holy Spirit says, Why don't you get a word in for Jesus right here? And you're thinking, I don't want to get a word in for Jesus. They got scissors next to my ears. What are we going to do? That's a true story for me, by the way. Maybe you've heard it before. <laughs> Speaking from experience on that one, right? You know what I mean? Are we ready for Jesus to say, you prayed for more people out there doing evangelism and mission. I want you to be the one to do it. Are we ready for that? Maybe we don't want to pray it because maybe we're afraid Jesus will say, guess what? You're the answer to the prayer. Here's somebody to tell about my life-giving love. Tell you a story about my scoutmaster. I think he'd be all right with this. He, uh, when I first met this guy, his name's Art. Uh, he attended church, another church in the in the area. Uh, but I later heard that it was just kind of a you know attended church, not a real like driving passion thing for him. And uh, over the years. Jesus started working in arts, art. Uh, ended up switching churches, ended up at the church that I was a member of. And uh, after his kids got out of high school and went to college, Art decided the Lord was calling him to retire and go on the mission field. That's what I meant earlier when I said, you may think missions is for those young folks. <laughs> So here's a guy that spent his whole career in business administration. And when his kids were out of the house, the Holy Spirit showed up and said, Hey, I want you in Ecuador. There's a hospital that needs to be run. So Art and his wife started raising money. And in retirement, began their second vocation as missionaries in Ecuador. You asked his family, they'd say, man, he got pretty serious about Jesus there after a while. <laughs> so don't think it's just for somebody else. You may be retired and the Lord Jesus Christ may show up and say, guess what? You got some time on your hands. <laughs> you might be saying you have no idea what retirement's like, but you get the idea. The Lord Jesus may show up and say, hey, you know what? I got another option. I got another mission. Be prepared that God might answer your prayer with your children. I feel like I need to obey Jesus. I want to pray that the Lord will raise up missionaries and evangelists. The harvest is great. The laborers are few. Let's pray that the Lord will send laborers into the harvest. What if He calls your kids? Some of you know that uh, my little girl Vivian wants to be a missionary in North Africa when she grows up. A year or so ago... Uh, she met some missionaries from North Africa, and ever since then, it's, I mean, that's all, that's it. And so last night, putting her to bed, we're saying our prayers, and we took some time to pray that the Lord would cultivate that passion for the nations, that he would reproduce his character, his passion in her life. We spend time in the evenings praying for people of North Africa, that the Lord will be preparing their hearts. And here's the thing, she's turning eight years old tomorrow. Like the idea 
I mean, you may be thinking, man, dude, you're nuts. I mean, the world is crazy, and you want to let your daughter move to Africa someday or something, right? And, I'm, and I think that too. Maybe I am crazy. I don't know. But then I started thinking, I was like, man, I'd rather have my kids like sold out, filled with overflowing passion for Jesus. <laughs> we, we used to have this thing, Vivian and I, I'd say, Vivian, who's going to take care of me when I get old? And she's like, I'll take care of you, Daddy. And a couple months ago, we were talking about North Africa, and she said, you know what? If I go to Africa, I won't be able to take care of you when you're old. <laughs> Just I love the heart. I love her heart. And I said, that's okay. The North Africans are more important. She's like, yeah, they are. And that's, and, and, but you, <laughs> it wasn't that she didn't care about her dad. It's, <laughs> I love that Jesus is showing up in the heart of a seven-year-old girl and cultivating a passion for the nations. I lo- and I, am, I wasn't even around when this happened. I mean, they were off in, in, in another city uh, at a missions conference, and I found out about it when they got back. And it'll be fine with me if she never changes her mind. It'll be scary, <laughs> but it'll be okay. Be ready for Jesus to answer your prayer with the lives of your children. Patrick's going to Guatemala. There's several children and youth who are going to Guatemala this summer from this church. Because I want to see compassion. I want him to spend a week at an orphanage. Not that he's not compassionate, but I want to cultivate compassion in his 10-year-old heart. Because I want to see the character of Jesus show up in my kids. Now, Jesus may end up doing crazy stuff with that. So let's be prepared that the Lord Jesus Christ may answer our prayers in the lives of our kids. It may be scary, but it'll be the best. It'll also be the best for this church, friends. You've done such a good job for years of cultivating like just a heart of mission. I think the next step is cultivating that in our kids. Because they're going to be the ones who do it when we're not here anymore. They're the, we gotta, they're the ones who get the baton next. And so I want to start passing that baton today. The question is, are we ready for that? Are we ready for Jesus to, to really get radical and crazy and countercultural and surprising? And yeah, I mean, who takes their kids to, you know, places like that? Christians do. Followers of Jesus do. People who want to change the world for the glory of God do. So let's spend some time listening to the Holy Spirit and reflecting on this connection between mission and compassion. I mean, are we doing the kinds of things that need to be done to be cultivating compassion so that the gospel goes out? Unhindered, no obstacle, you know, when I find that contempt, am I asking the Spirit to just to purify my heart? Am I willing to pray the prayer that Jesus commands me to pray? And am I willing to let myself 
my family, my friends be the answer to that prayer? You want to follow Jesus? That's what it takes.